Anyway, if you have not been with us for the past couple of weeks, we are actually in the book of Philippians. So we are going through that. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. So go ahead, if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, or if you just want to follow along the screen, go ahead and turn to Philippians 1. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 26. I'm actually going to read verse 20 as well because uh, it kind of fits in with what we're talking about here. And Fred kind of connected the dots last week. Uh, But anyway, I'm going to read the scripture. I will pray. And then we'll dive into the message this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20. I'll, I'll include 20. Through 21 says this. 20 won't be on the screen though. Verse 20 says this. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Do you pray with me this morning? God, we love you. We thank you so much for a wonderful day. God, thank you for Father's Day and what it represents, and just thank you for the dads out there that have just poured into their families' lives and We just appreciate that. We appreciate the fact that as Liam prayed, that you are our father ultimately, and so we thank you for that, but that's something that we are grateful for every single day. God, I pray that as we open your word this morning, we look at a few verses, God, that I would be able to somehow communicate your message to the people. God, remove me from this stage. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and fill me with your Holy Spirit, allow your spirit to just move in this place, penetrate the hearts of the people sitting under it, and I pray that we would be better because of it that we would love you more because of it, and that we would be changed ultimately because of it. Lord, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So what if I were to tell you that you have one minute until you were going to die? What would you do? How would you respond? 50 seconds left. Maybe you're scrambling, right? Maybe you have time for a phone call or a couple of texts, but oh, what if they don't answer? Or what if I, I miss, mess up the text? Or what if it doesn't go through? Or what if I don't have the right service? Or your mind begins to race, right? You're scrambling. You have 30 seconds. You see, we don't typically think about death. The world we live in doesn't really know what to do with it. In fact, to a lot of people, the fear of death is paralyzing. But the reality is, whether we like it or not, humanity has a 100% mortality rate. So we might as well get used to it. When we think of or face death, we can do one of three things. Typically, we can ignore it, maybe pretend as if it isn't this unavoidable reality that we're all destined to experience. We can hasten it, So we take life into our own hands and maybe end it on our own terms. Or we cheapen it. We say things like, in a tragic situation, oh, well, at least they're in a better place. When all we're simply doing is attempting to appease 
our own sorrow in such a dark and morbid moment in our life. You see, that is what the world has to offer us regarding the overall view of death. But praise God who has given us another option through his son, Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we can view death in a completely different light. And if we see death differently, as Paul did, we'll begin to see life differently. So as we dive into this passage this morning, I want to remind you of a few things. First off, this is a letter. I'm kind of recapping some of the stuff that Greg talked about on week one. This is a letter written by Paul who is in prison in Rome, and that's not like today's prisons. He's not laid up in a cell with, a, with another cellmate and has TV privileges and book privileges and he gets to go out to the yard. No, this is most likely something that has to do with shackles and, and torment and persecution, isolation, suffering. So this is a letter written by Paul who is in prison to believers, to the saints, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Paul's reality is that it's possible, given his current circumstances, he could be facing death very soon. And we know from history he probably did. Which makes verse 20 even more powerful when you think about it, which is why I included it in today's sermon. He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. Remember, he is in prison, potentially facing death, that I will not be ashamed about anything. But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so this passage of scripture we're looking at this morning is a continuation of that exact statement. We're seeing Paul's thoughts on the matter. So verse 20, he says that, and then he kind of elaborates on it. Well, to me, and then he continues, for me, it means this. So what does he think about his life and its current circumstances, as well as the possibility of death? We know now that Paul has a clear hope and expectation that Christ will be exalted and honored, whether by life or even death. Are you kidding me? In his current situation, the only concern he has and the only expectation he has, I mean, my expectation would be, you know, I expect to at least try to get out of here or hopefully, you know, you send more care packages, Philippian church, or maybe that you continue to pray for me. No, his only hope and expectation is that Christ be exalted. Is this how you would view that situation if you were Paul? But when we stop and think about it as believers, as the saints, it does make perfect sense. I love how John Piper describes Paul's dilemma here as the ultimate win-win scenario. I would not look at Paul's situation as a win-win at all. It seems like a a lose-lose. You're in prison and you may die. There's a loss and there's another loss. But life, it's an ultimate win-win scenario. Life in service to Christ or death with him. So what's there to lose? However, this can ultimately be a lose-lose scenario too. Hear me out. Because for, the, for life to be anything other than Jesus is for death to be an ultimate loss. So hear me. If you're not a saint, if you're not the saints he's writing to, if you're not in Paul's situation, if you are without Christ, this is a lose-lose scenario. There's no hope here. Because for life to be anything other than Jesus is for death to be a loss. A loss now and a loss for eternity. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can have Christ and you can experience gain now and forever, just as Paul had done. I mean, imagine the guards. I think uh, uh, 
Greg and Fred talked a little bit about this, but I'm trying to imagine the imperial guards relentlessly tormenting, mocking, threatening Paul's life day in and day out. And his response is simply, you can kill me. It's all gain to me. I mean, my man is, anybody a Peter Pan fan here? Just me. Okay, Peter Pan is the best superhero ever. He's not even a superhero, but he is in my eyes. Like, he's literally saying to die would be an awfully big adventure. That's essentially what he's saying. Like, go ahead, kill me. There's greater things to come. It's all gain to me. Uh, he's basically Ivan Drago-ing himself. Any Rocky Four fans, that's probably the worst Rocky movie ever made where he fights the Russian. He's literally looking at himself in the third person saying, if he dies, he dies. Like, he don't care if he dies. He doesn't care if his life ends. How frustrating would someone like that be to persecute? There's nothing you can, you can do to him. Better yet, how big of a threat is someone with that mindset? So this morning, I want to I give you three points to help us truly understand the weight and significance of these six or seven verses in this letter, written by a man whose life was completely sold out for Christ, one who claimed to be compelled by the love of Christ. Paul views both his life and death as resources for Christ to use for his glory and his exaltation, and that's what made Paul unstoppable. So point number one this morning, if you're taking notes, it'll be on the screen. Life is about being on mission, and that mission is for Christ. Life is about being on mission, and that mission is for Christ. Verse 21 and 22, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. So to Paul, life is but a temporary missions trip for Jesus. It's not just living for living's sake, but it's a mission. To live is Christ. Paul tells us that in verse 22, that remaining in the flesh in his earthly body, referencing back to verse 20, in his earthly body means fruitful work for him. Where have we seen this word fruit before? I want you to jump back to verses 9 through 11 of this same chapter. I believe they'll be on the screen. Back to the beginning of this letter, Paul writes this. He's praying for this church, and he says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is praying that the saints in Philippi would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul boldly claims that to live is to enjoy the fruitful work of righteousness that comes through Christ alone and ultimately leads to glory and praise to Christ alone. To live is Christ. That's what he's saying here. This is not, listen, life is not just marking time or punching a clock. It's not, it's not work the way we view work. Fruitful work to us uh, may seem like we go and we punch a time card and we maybe accomplish a task of work and then we get compensated for it. No, real life has meaning and it has purpose we're called co-laborers together in this life, church. So we labor together. That's work, fruitful work. And Paul believed in what it is that we 
live for can be found only in Jesus. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And in John, 4, John 14, 6, very famous passage of scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Think about it this way. We're here with an opportunity and a job that is a gift from our creator. It's a 24-7 occupation while it lasts. There's no punching in and out of this. It is a day-by-day reality with ups and downs, good times and bad, good decisions and bad decisions that affect everyday living. Let's be real this morning and complete the following sentence. I want everyone to write this down or text it to yourself or say it out loud to yourself in your head. I want you to say, for me to live is... Some of you may say Christ, but is that how your day-to-day life goes? If I'm being honest... I want to say for me to live is Christ and Christ alone, but for me to live sometimes is money. For me to live is recognition, possession. But here's the thing. When life is about money, to die is to leave it all behind. When life is about recognition, to die is to be forgotten ultimately. When life is about possessions or relationships or loneliness or or, or, uh Uh, your career, or power, or food, or whatever, fill in the blank other than Christ, ultimately to lose or to die is to lose that thing. But to live as Christ means to die is to gain something. To live for Paul, and I pray for you, is one thing and one thing only, and that is Christ. We live to serve Christ. We live for Christ, and we live as Christ. No distractions, No secrets, no locked doors, nothing for Jesus should be off limits in your life. There's no no trespassing sign for Jesus. No do not enter signs, and hear me, no knock first signs either. Yeah, Jesus, you can come into this life, but you have to ask first. No, Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ had taken possession of Paul and his own autonomy and identity could not be separated from Christ. You understand that? Life means Christ to Paul and nothing else. To continue living means more of Jesus, not more of Paul. It's the John the Baptist mentality, the he must increase and I must decrease. Nicholas von Zinzendorf, I believe I've quoted him before. Uh, He's the one that said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, or at least he's attributed to that quote. Uh, He was a famous German missionary. He once said, I have but one enthusiasm. It is Christ and only Christ. That's that's what I want my statement of life to be. And I want to mean it. And I want to live it out, just like Paul did. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer... I would invite you to reflect on the beauty that to live is Christ. To understand that there is nothing you have to do to earn God's grace in your life. But place your life and trust in the one who did it for you, Jesus. To live is Christ. Or maybe you're here and you are a believer, but maybe you've fallen asleep to the truly important things in life. 
Allow yourself this morning to revel in the gospel of grace once again. Revisit that moment in your life that Jesus came in and turned your life upside down to the point where you wanted nothing more than just love him deeper and deeper every single day. To serve him more and more and just to be with him. When's the last time you were just with Jesus and just hung out with him? No distractions, no do not enter signs. You were just like, it's just me and you, Lord. Search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me. Because excuse me for saying this, but sorry, not sorry, if the gospel of grace is just ordinary news to you anymore, if you're sitting under these words this morning and just simply nodding along like, yeah, yeah, Marty, I get it. Live as Christ. I get it. Yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I no longer live, but Christ lives in. I get it. I know that. If this is second nature news to you and not something that you reflect on, meditate on day in and day out because you're too distracted by life or too busy in life or too whatever in life, I'm going to let C.S. Lewis speak directly to you this morning then. He said this. So we would think that in that situation that maybe our desires in this life are just too strong, that we get so distracted from Christ that like, oh, I just really want to pour myself into my family or into my career or into this project that I'm doing or whatever, and that's just what's taking up all of my time. C.S. Lewis would say our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're going to be going to the beach in a couple of weeks, and when I was reading that quote, I was like, I'm imagining Owen, my oldest, who loves playing. He's so excited to play in the sand at the beach. That's all he talks about. He just wants to play in the sand. He wants to go in the water. He wants to play in the sand. He wants to go in the water. I feel like he's going to go in the water a lot less than he wants to play in the sand, and I'm going to bake in the sun. But I'm okay with that. But I'm imagining me explaining to Owen, especially if he's been there, explaining him the beauty of the ocean and the beach and just being there and just seeing the vast it just continues on forever and ever and you could be playing in the sand you could be offered a holiday at the sea and he'd rather play in a a mud pit somewhere because it rained a couple days ago he'd rather just play in the mud and he just doesn't get it he doesn't get what you're missing he thinks that this is as exciting as the other thing he just doesn't understand and that's what we're like our desires in this life that are apart from Christ, that are beneath Christ, that we somehow elevate above him because we think it's going to bring us more satisfaction, we're ignorant. It's nothing. We're far too easily pleased. So don't settle for anything less that the world tries to offer you in this life because you're you're going to be left dissatisfied every time. We're here for a purpose, and that purpose is that Jesus Christ would be highly honored in our bodies through everything we think, say, or do. So be on mission for Christ. To live is Christ. Point number two this morning. So if to live is to be on mission, and that mission is for Christ, point number two is that death results in eternal gain with Christ. Death results in eternal gain with Christ. So you see Paul, he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He explains what living means, but also in verse 23, he goes on to say, I'm torn between the two. 
I long to depart with, to be with Christ, which is far better, is what he says. So Paul is saying that death is the better option here. I think the older that we get in this life, a yearning for death may seem understandable at times. The older we get, our bodies decay a little bit more. We might suffer from different ailments or aches or pains or whatever. We've experienced too much in this life, too much hurt, that we're just like, you know what? Death does seem pretty sweet right now. But more often, people seem to prefer to stick around and live, usually for selfish reasons. Well, I don't want to leave my family behind. I don't want to leave my friends behind. I don't want to leave the comfort that I've built up in this world. Look at all the things that I've amassed in my life, and I want to enjoy them for a while. Not Paul. See, it's here that Paul explains his dilemma. The title of the sermon this morning, it's The Dilemma. What's the dilemma? Should I choose life or should I choose death? Which one is better? And he's saying that death is better. Paul understands that to live is Christ. We already understand that. And that means more fruitful work for him in the days to come, whatever that may be. But then there's death. As a matter of fact, Paul's language here isn't quite captured in the translation that we have today. So this is not a grim moment in Paul's life. Paul is not sitting, he's not wishing death upon himself in this moment of suffering and torment sitting in prison. It's not, it's not like that, like, Lord, please just end it all because I don't want to be here anymore. No, he has and he chooses to, he, he uses an interesting word. He uses the verb depart. I long to depart and be with Christ. So in the original Greek, this word depart can be understood as lifting one's anchor and going out to sea as if traveling home. So this isn't like a desperate thing here. This is like, I, basically what he's saying is Paul isn't speaking about the to ending his misery here on earth. But what he is saying is that he longs to make that journey home. He longs for that day that the work that began in him would be brought to completion. Death is a gain to Paul. And Paul knows a lot about gain. Hear him in the same letter, Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Sorry, whoever's preaching this, probably Fred, my bad. I'm stealing a lot of your scripture. It's okay. Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says this. But everything that was a gain to me, Paul had a lot he gained in this life, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. The only gain in Paul's life, in his, in his eyes, and he had a lot of gain in our, the way we see it. Recognition, possessions, status. He considers that all to be loss because of Christ, who is his ultimate gain. So Paul says that Christ is his gain, and Christ will be his ultimate gain in death. Why? How do we know? He says in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, he tells us, in fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So to be absent from this body is to be at home with the Lord when you are in Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, he, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. How is that not like, man, I just wish it would come now? I just want to experience that now. Death in Christ is not an enemy. Death in Christ is our friend. 
It's what ushers us into Jesus' presence. Death isn't dark or morbid or to be avoided. Rather, it's to be embraced as believers. Uh, Danielle Strickland, in her book, The Ultimate Exodus, uh, so at my last job, we started this devotional, and I took this book with me because it was a really good book, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep this and keep reading it. Uh, Sorry if you're listening to this sermon, Angela. But anyway, uh, I have this book, uh, and in her book, The Ultimate Exodus, she talks about a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've not experienced him, uh, he is a German Lutheran pastor, a theologian, an anti-Nazi dissident, so he opposed the Nazi regime, and a key founding member of the Confessing Church. This dude is the freaking man. And if you've not read his book, The Cost of Discipleship, I highly recommend you read that. But she writes this about Diedrich Bonhoeffer in her book. She says this. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He wrote this eight years before he followed Jesus to his own death at the gallows in Germany at the hands of the Nazis. He had an opportunity to escape Germany He had been invited to live in comfort, developing theology, writing and preaching in New York, a pastor's life, an easy life, in America where it's safe. While Germany's future was still being determined and while his fellow ministers were languishing under the grim realities of the Nazi power. His American friends had sacrificed their reputations and their connections and a fair bit of cash to get him out of Germany. They had declared that God's will for him was to live to use his gifts for the whole church. But Bonhoeffer had made a habit of reading the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that bit of the Bible where Jesus speaks about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And Bonhoeffer had made it a habit to hear the living spirit of Jesus speak, and he was hearing Jesus say, come and die. And so against all the odds and against all the wisdom of the world, Bonhoeffer went against the flow of the mass exodus out of Germany and entered into the midst of the flame. And he tried to explain this to his American friends and benefactors, but he He couldn't quite get them to understand. Bonhoeffer was imprisoned with many others and lived a pastor's life after all. Only he pastored the people in the prison he was confined to. Not just the other prisoners, but also the guards. Does this not sound like Paul? People say he was full of joy in those days as he joined Jesus in the cell blocks of the German Gestapo prison. And two days before the war was over, the guards, two days before the war was over, The guards led Bonhoeffer to the gallows, and a fellow prisoner recalled his final words. This is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer died tragically and freely. So Bonhoeffer and Paul, (laughs) they knew life's ultimate mission. As a matter of fact, Bonhoeffer's life almost mirrored that of Paul. It's it's eerily similar to the situation that we're reading with uh, Paul in his letter to the Philippians. They knew life's ultimate mission, but they also weren't afraid of death. Either way, through life or death, Paul and Diedrich Bonhoeffer, they were confident in Christ. Either way, they wanted to glorify Jesus. No wonder Paul and Diedrich Bonhoeffer could be filled with joy and contentment regardless of any circumstances. No wonder Paul could write in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. For the saints, death is simply more of Jesus. But listen, this isn't a black or white issue. This isn't a choose one and not the other scenario. It is a true dilemma. Paul doesn't know which one. I mean, life as a follower of Christ is great. Even in prison, he doesn't care. 
But is not death all the more greater? Paul thinks so. In verse 23, he says it's far better. I mean, Revelation 21.4 says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Do we not want that? How about the famous American evangelist D.L. Moody? How about how he puts it? He says, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be, a more, alive, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever. So imagine for a second, you're driving down the road. This would be super awkward. So if this ever happens, I would just be very, very be on guard if you ever see signs like this. So you're driving on the road, and you come to a fork in the road, and one sign above the fork that leads to the right says, the road to life. And then to go left, the sign above that reads, the road to death. What road will you take? See, if this isn't a dilemma for you, then you're not thinking as you should be. See, if you undoubtedly choose death, like I'm just, I'm tired of it, I'm tired of this life, like I'm just... It's presenting the opportunity, I'm going towards death. That you don't fully understand the vast importance of this life. And that this life that you've been given by God. So maybe pray, God, keep me here and use me for the advancement of your gospel, for your glory. Keep me here, Lord. These And I'm, listen, I'm not picking on anybody here, but I, just, I, I have people in my own circle of influence, uh, my, own, my own life, family, friends, and whatnot that are Christians, that are believers, and all I constantly hear out of their mouth is just, Lord, come back. Lord, please return. Lord, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, there's important work to be done here. Thank God you have another day to live, that you can share the gospel with dying people. Have we not heard that there's 20 million people within, or I don't know, 10 million, 20 million? There's millions of people from, the mo or from 20 miles from where we're sitting right now, most of which don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to leave? I understand for selfish reasons it sounds good, like I want to go be in glory with Christ forever and ever, but there's important work to be done here. But if you would without hesitation choose life, like, well, obviously I want to I keep living. I don't want to die. I would challenge you with the idea that you don't truly understand the beauty of eternity with your creator. So to be with Jesus forever and ever? This is kind of a dilemma. Which one do I choose? So I would, I would challenge you to let this be your prayer. I want to go home. But I need to stay, Jesus. I want to go home. I want to be with you forever and forever and forever. I want that. I need to stay. Use me here. Death is ultimately a gain. Life is a mission, and that mission is for Jesus. Point number three this morning, and lastly, is knowing our life's mission and death's gain, be willing to sacrifice your life. Knowing our life's mission and death's gain, be willing to sacrifice 
your life. Verse 24 through 26 says, but to remain in the flesh. So again, up until this point, Paul has basically said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He explains what living looks like. It means fruitful work for me. But I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which he considers better. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So we've seen Paul's dilemma in our first two points this morning. Living means being on mission for Christ, and dying means being with Christ in his presence for all eternity. Paul then concludes that remaining on earth for the sake of the church is what is necessary. So it's an, ultimately, it's a selfless thing that he chooses, because you saw Paul's preference. It's far better to go be, to depart and be with Christ and I can imagine in Paul's situation, again, I'm not, I'm, this is speculating. I'm just going to put myself in Paul's shoes. I'm not saying Paul felt this. But me, selfishly, I'd be like, at this point, I'm in prison. I'm not really doing much for the gospel. Uh, I'm suffering here. Maybe I'm not eating as much as I, I'd like to. I'm not really comfortable anymore. Lord, just take me. But Paul says, no, I, I need to remain for your sake. So what Paul ultimately wants is subjugated under the needs of the church. And can I just pause and say that when I was reading this, I've been in ministry for a while. Again, I was in ministry before this, uh, not church ministry though. So now that I'm in like church, church ministry, like church building ministry, I guess, I feel that. I feel that a lot, I, that the needs of the body of Christ are far more important than any career ambitions that I, I may ever have. I mean, God help any pastor that, views this position as a way of seeing their career and not being subjugated under the needs of the church. And so hold me accountable to that. That I am here to subjugate my own desires and what I want out of this role and what I want out of my life and, and my career ambitions. I want to be subjugated to the needs of what the body of Christ needs. Let me ask you this question. Because I'm tired of talking about me, I'm going to turn it on you because I don't like this pressure. Would your church, maybe you're visiting here and you, you go to another church, that's fine. But if this is your home church, like, would your church notice if you left? I mean, would there be any noticeable difference week in and week out without your presence there? I'm not saying that the church is about you, but I'm saying your presence there. Is there something about your presence that's significant that aids and helps support and builds up and edifies the body of Christ. Because I can guarantee you when Paul wasn't a consistent presence in the churches that he helped plant, people noticed. His role was so integral to the function and thriving of a church body. He recognized and respected the fact that church is the, the bride of Christ and he treated her so well. How do we then Continue with all of you, the saints, for your progress and join the faith. How do we do that? We learn to sacrifice our lives. Greg said it last week, last week, two weeks ago, Greg said it. And he's so right. Romans 12, 1 can be applied to any sermon at any time uh, for any reason. And so this fits. Romans 12, 1. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. When the world rushes out, the church ought to be the first ones rushing in. We ought to be the ones willing to give up what we prefer for the sake of others without hesitation. And hear me, in all circumstances, but especially for the bride of Christ, especially for the church. Is that not what Jesus ultimately did for his bride? He gave up a scepter for an, for an apron, a crown of jewels for a crown of thorns, a throne for a cross. Philippians 2, stealing another passage from this letter because it's all good. Philippians 2, 5 to 11 Paul basically he summarizes it here. He says, adopt the same attitudes as that of Christ Jesus. You want to do it right? You want to do what I'm trying to uh, uh, be an example of? Then adopt the same attitude of that as that of Christ, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. And it's for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Lay down your life, church. Lay down your life. There is no break here on earth. Again, I feel like I'm going to be picking on people, and I'm sorry, because I'm not there yet, and so God help me if I ever get there. But there's this idea. Maybe it's just in Western culture. I have no idea if Eastern culture does this. But this idea of retirement, and that's what, like, what we strive for, this idea of I just want to sit on the beach and relax for the rest of my days. I've done my work here for 60-plus years, 50-plus years, 40-plus years, 70-plus years. I'm done. I'm retired. I don't need to do anything else. Just let me enjoy the rest of my days in peace. And sadly, even some pastors and those who work all throughout ministry adopt that same attitude. I'm not knocking you, I'm just trying to challenge you, so don't kill me here. I'm trying to challenge myself for that matter. Paul is persuaded to remain in this life. He understands that his life, as well as his death, are the instruments for Christ to use for Christ's ultimate glory. It has nothing to do with Paul. And in and throughout his life, he may help edify the church and continue in their progress and joy in the faith. How? By remaining faithful throughout a difficult time. The situation he's in right now. I think Fred talked about this either last week or a couple weeks ago. He said basically that what's encouraging to fellow believers is when we see other believers holding fast through difficult times. So if he just decides to give up and say, you know what, take me home, Lord, is that, as, is that the most encouraging thing for the church? Probably not. At least in his mind, he's saying, no, I need to stick around for their progress of joy in the faith. I need to let them see that when I'm joyous in this difficult time, they can be joyous in difficult times. That when I have a lot, I can be joyful. When I don't have a lot, I can be joyful. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what that verse actually means in context. Again, sorry for preaching a separate sermon. That's in chapter, that's chapter four, sorry. Okay. Fred said this last week that when you talked about Paul, you talked about Christ. 
It's like you couldn't separate the two. Not that Paul was anything elevated to the same level of Christ, but Paul's life was so reflective of that of Christ that you couldn't mention Paul without mentioning Jesus. That's what was happening in and throughout the imperial guard, which is amazing, right? And side note, just so we don't miss this, we also know from Paul's words that this mission in life is not just regarding our physical lives and bodies. But he says in Ephesians 6.12 that for our struggle in this life is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. This battle is far greater than just a physical one. And believe me when I tell you that you're no threat if you have any of these idols in your life, those things we settle for, money, fame, power, recognition, relationships, entertainment, those lesser things, those lesser desires, those weaker desires, as C.S. Lewis puts it, you're of no threat if those things are idols in your life. No threat to who? Well, I want to I read you a passage of scripture here. Acts 19, verses 8 through 17, this is towards the end. I'm going to be closing after this. But I want to read you this thing because I really want you to understand when I say that people talked about Paul, they talked about Christ. It says in Acts 19, verses 8 through 17, that Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, the way was the, the name of the movement, the church movement, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. So that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Did you hear what I just said? That even face cloths or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul. Who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul. But who are you? I want evil spirits to recognize me and Jesus in the same circle. I mean, what a testimony to Paul's life. Is that or will that be your testimony? I pray it is. Sacrifice your life for the sake of the church's progress and joy in the faith, that boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Because what happened at the end of that passage? Was Paul's name edified? No. It says, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. That's what it's all about. That's to live as Christ. 
you know, anymore, we just want to show up to church. I've heard Francis Chan kind of preach something similar to this. Sorry if I'm biting off him a little bit, but he's right. He says, we want to show up to church, park in my spot, get my cup of coffee, see my friends, sit in my seat, hear a message that encourages me, and then go back to my house. Me, me, me. Church is about me. Church is about me coming and getting filled up. Me being comfortable. Oh, it's too cold in here. Oh, it's too warm. Oh, the music's too loud. Oh, it's too soft. I can't hear. Oh, the coffee was lukewarm. Oh, they don't have my favorite cookies this week. Where's the willingness to sacrifice anymore for the sake of Christ and his church? I mean, what's the worst that will happen? For us, not very much. I'm telling you that right now. What, you sacrifice a little bit of your time? What's the worst that happened to Paul? He died and went to be with Jesus forever and forever and ever and ever and forever. Like, is that really so bad? For sacrificing his life for the sake of the church? That we may truly understand that to live is Christ and die is gain. And because of that, Christ may be magnified and honored highly in our bodies, whether by life or by death. Are you willing to say to God this morning, God, Kill me now if it brings you more glory. End my life right this second if it brings you more glory. But if you want me to live, allow my life to be one of fruitful labor through and for you until the day I die. To live is Christ and to die is gain. C.T. Studd, famous uh, theologian, he, uh, he has this quote that I feel like most people have heard or quoted before. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Church, let's be Christ. Let's understand that to die is gain. Let's strain between the two. Let's make it a dilemma in our life and pray that if the Lord would end my life now, he would receive glory. But understanding that whenever I die and I get to be with him forever and ever, he still gets the glory. Do you pray with me this morning? God, we love you and we praise you. Lord, as I stumbled over my words up here and tried to communicate a message that I know you were trying to convey to your people, I pray that something I said would have landed and, and resonated in the hearts of your people. God, first and foremost, I pray for anybody here that may not know you, that may not understand what it truly means to live as Christ, that has not had that life-transforming experience, God, I'm praying for them, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in their life today, that they would leave here differently, that they would commit themselves to you, that they would tell someone about that. Lord, if they have questions, that they would be willing to humble themselves and ask someone what it means to be a true follower of Christ. But then to the other side of that coin, I pray for those who are followers, and have maybe fallen asleep to the gospel of grace in their life. That maybe this isn't a dilemma in their life. That maybe they automatically choose life and cling on to life for all of selfish reasons. Or maybe they cling on to death for all of selfish reasons. God, I'm praying that you would realign their hearts to you. And understand that their life and their death ought to be instruments that you use for your ultimate glory. And so realign our hearts to that this morning. Help us to understand that. Help us to live that out. God, we love you, we praise you, we give this time to you, help us to worship you as we close. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.